Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 106. So my friends, this week we are tackling the third batch of Crimson Rain comics. That is going to be Crimson Rain 3, Bounty Hunters 21, Doctor Aphra 19, Darth Vader 21, and Star Wars 22. Now in case you haven't joined the show before, let me just explain. I will go through each of these comics, I'm going to give you the general plot details of what happens in the comics, and along the way I'm going to give some additional information about other elements of the Star Wars canon that connect to it, including characters that are reoccurring, or species, or planets, or even events, things like that, or potentially a bit of trivia information that I found interesting. The whole goal of this show is so that anyone who has read the comics gets something extra from reading them, maybe I explain something you didn't pick up, or certain connections, something like that. It serves as a good refresher if you've already picked up the comics before, but if you've never read these comics before, that is perfectly fine. This is a really good way to get you a better understanding of the wider Star Wars canon. So with that all in mind, let's get started. So the first comic, as I said, is Crimson Rain number three. It is called The Archivist. The writer for it is Charles Saul. The artist is Stephen Cummings. The inker is Victor Olazaba, and the color artist is Guru EFX. It was released March 9th, 2022, and the trade paperback collection was out August 23rd, 2022. For the Crimson Rain miniseries, there are no crawls, so let's get right into the story. So as I said, Crimson Rain 3 is called The Archivist, so it all centres around the character of The Archivist, who I have mentioned in brief in prior episodes because she was an important part of the story, but each Crimson Rain issue generally centres around a group of people collaborating with Kira. So obviously last week was Assassins, this week is Archivist, and then next week will be the Knights of Ren. So very, very exciting stuff. You just kind of see what all of their plans are and how they all sort of go. So obviously this features around the archivist so it starts off with the archivist saying that time remakes us all but her transition was quite dramatic it goes back to before order 66 and shows that she worked at the university of barleth as a sava now a sava is both a scholar and also a teacher so basically a professor of a university in the star wars universe now the archivist, whose name is actually Madeline, she is a colleague of someone called Corin Purs. So Corin Purs is actually a female Ugnaught who is also a Sava, who has a cybernetic eye and was first seen in the Lando comic miniseries by Charles Saul. I tackled those in episode 18 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, so if you want more information about Corin and also Ugnaughts in general, check that out. But the University of Barleth has been from the Afro comics, so they were in a flashback of the very first Afro comic in 2016, but they've been a reoccurring institution across the 2020 run of Afro comics, especially in the first volume. So while the archivist was at the University of Barleth, she studied the dark side, and she was happy. Then it shows after Order 66, she was just living on a junk world, selling junk, basically. Some stormtroopers come up to her and cause some trouble, and then they find an artifact which causes her even more trouble. Before they can do anything further, they then get shot by someone who is nearby, who is 
Kira. In the shootout, the artifact falls and smashes, but Kira says that she respects Madeline hugely, and she asks the archivist how the Jedi were erased. The archivist notes that fear and jealousy were two major reasons as to why, because Jedi represent people's best selves, and so that made people somewhat resentful of them. So then when something bad happened about the Jedi, then a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon. However, the ones that did not then get dealt with by the Empire, because there were laws passed that then ended up people who are vocal minorities getting killed, who are very much against the vilification of the Jedi, and then the people who just remained after several years were just apathetic. They were either fearful, they didn't care, or they were actively anti-Jedi. And that all happened very quickly, and the archivist says it's primarily due to the laws. I will note here that when the archivist was young, she had purple dreadlocks. Uh, so that's a fun thing if you've actually seen what she looks like and how I described her prior. I'll go more into her description in a little bit. But I just want to read out a quote that she says. And she says that the light side is how people wanted to live and act, while the dark side is how they actually are. Which I think is quite an intriguing perspective on the light side and the dark side. But we will come back to that idea slightly later on in this comic. So after a little bit of discussion between how they both respectively think the Jedi may have been extinguished and things, Kira agrees with the archivist and then decides to show the archivist some artifacts she has, including the Thought Dowser. What Kira wants is for the archivist to find her a Jedi to help her, more specifically Yoda. Now we'll see the Thought Dowser is something that has been in the Afro comics quite a lot, I've tackled them on the show numerous times and so you should be aware of what the Thought Dowser is, but it's basically an ancient artifact device you can use to bend the will of someone else to your own choosing, and it is a dark side artifact, unsurprisingly. So when the archivist questions why Kira chose Yoda, she says that well, the Empire never officially announced his death. They destroyed one of his lightsabers in a big show, which you see in one of the first issues of the 2017 run of Darth Vader comics, also written by Charles Saul. But that was seemingly all that they did, and if they had killed Yoda, they'd have made a very, very big fuss about it. And they probably haven't announced his death because they're worried he's going to reappear someday, and then they would be very clearly wrong. So Kira then says to the archivist, will you take this? The archivist does agree. Kira obviously says that she'll finally be able to study things she actually wants to do. You have access to all these artifacts. We also have near unlimited resources as well. So it's quite a convincing argument. The archivist agrees and then sets off to do something that she does incredibly well, and that is research. So she looks through various records of Imperial records and other places, a lot of them that Crimson Dawn have access to. Normally they have agents in certain organisations or places that can get the archivist this kind of information. But it shows that the last official record of Yoda was on the Battle of Kashyyyk, which we saw in Revenge of the Sith. There were then some reports of people seeing Yoda on Coruscant at the Jedi Temple, which once again was in Revenge of the Sith, and then she also notes that she must have had help from someone and suspects it was Bail Organa who helped out Yoda. She looks further into that and finds that the Taintive Three was involved in some way of transporting the Jedi Master. Now the Taintive Three obviously was the ship before the Taintive Four. It's also called the Tantive, it's called lots of various names, but it's the big Corellian Corvette ship that you see at the start of A New Hope. So after doing further research and whatnot, the archivist eventually finds someone called Jeromok Colton. Now, Jeromok Colton may sound like a familiar name because it's actually an amalgamation of the names Jeremy Bullock. Now, Jeremy Bullock is the person who originally played Boba Fett in the original trilogy. You actually get to see him in Revenge of the Sith when he's piloting the Tantive Three. So he only seemed very, very briefly, but he was also retconned into piloting the Tantive Four. It's a few bits in the canon kind of reference him being the one to pilot this and that, but obviously in Legends it contradicts it and stuff, so whatever. 
confirmed, but he is in canon. You get to see the guy who played Boba Fett originally with his helmet off in Revenge of the Sith, and this is the character that the archivist is going after. So she finds Jeremark Colton in a prison, an Imperial prison specifically. An Imperial officer gives her access, who works for Crimson Dawn, and so she asks him about Yoda. He claims he doesn't know anything, and so she uses the thought styles on him. It basically tortures him until he gives up the information that he knows. So he tells her that he took Yoda to Polis Massa, but he doesn't know anything else. She pushes a bit further with the thought dowser and confirms that Yoda actually made his way to the Sluise sector after Polis Massa. So she does further research and finds from an academic paper from the era of the High Republic that a planet called Dagobah was very strong in the Force, and that was in the Sluis sector. So she heads down there, lands planet side, and then a monster basically just grabs her. And she's struggling, feels like she's going to die, and then something seems to make the beast let her go, and she is left in front of this strange-looking cave. Now, this strange-looking cave is, in fact, the Dark Side Cave. We saw it in Empire Strikes Back, but you also get to see it in the Age of Resistance villains comic, Snoke. So there's the Kylo Ren one and there's also the Snoke one which both are about Kylo Ren because as we have found out that Snoke has basically no backstory it seems. But I actually tackled that in episode 52 of Star Wars Comics in Canon. So if you want to find out how Kylo Ren experienced the Dark Side Cave on Dagobah and it's a really really cool issue. It's one of the best of the Age of issues. Make sure you check out episode 52 Star Wars Comics in Canon or pick up the comic yourself. So the archivist enters the dark side cave looking fairly normal. She is an older woman, she is a human, she has pink dreadlocks, and then when she comes out, her hair has gone white. Her skin has gone like a greyish, greeny sort of colour, and also one of her eyes seems to have been damaged in some way because it has no pupil anymore. It's gone grey or somewhat milky. She won't speak of her experience in the cave, noting that is for her alone to know, but she does say that it changed her, and coming out the other way was something that was the most important part of her life. She knew that Yoda's location was valuable, both to Kira, but also to the Rebellion, or even the Empire, but Yoda actually spent time teaching her while she was on Dagobah. And what he actually taught her was that the light shows what people could be, but the dark side shows who you are when you're controlled by fear, selfishness, and attachment. So obviously that is a slight variant on how she perceived the light side and the dark side of the force at the start of this comic, and it shows how Yoda kind of changed her perspective on it, showing that the light side is what we should all try to be. That's the best case scenario. That's the way people should try and live. So after all her interactions with Yoda, the archivist then returns to Kira, and she tells Kira that Yoda is dead. Kira is disappointed by this, but does accept it, and then leaves to go and continue with her plans. And the archivist notes to herself that that decision was the first time she's really had full control of a situation, and she is actually happy for the first time in a long time due to it. And that's where Crimson Reign 3 ends. I would encourage people to pick up this comic, as I do with all of the comics. It is very interesting, but you don't actually get to see the archivist directly interact with Yoda. You just kind of see him in like a silhouette form and then hear what she says after those interactions. In fact, the cover art of this issue, it looks very, very cool. And if you follow me on social media, you'll be able to see it and things. It is a very cool piece of artwork, but that artwork actually shows you more Yoda than any of the inside of the comic does. So I thought I'd pre-warn people of that in case they pick up the comic expecting loads and loads of Yoda stuff. There isn't. However, there has recently been announced a Yoda miniseries that's coming out. Uh, I think that first issue is coming out towards the end of 2022. I've already pre-ordered it. So when that comes out, I'll definitely be tackling that on this very show. But if you want to find out more information about Yoda, because obviously outside the films and the Clone Wars series, there's not really much. He's in Rebels a little bit and obviously he's probably going to 
going to pop up elsewhere eventually. But he is actually the central point of five issues of the 2015 run of Star Wars comics. So the story arc is called Yoda's Secret War. It was written by Jason Aaron, and I tackled it all the way back in episode 33 of Star Wars Comics in Canon. So as I said, if you want to pick that up, it's issues 26 to 30 of the 2015 run of Star Wars comics, or check out episode 33 of Star Wars Comics in Canon, and you get to hear all about Yoda's adventures. And the story arc is called Yoda's Secret War. So my friends, that ends Crimson Reign number three. So we move on to the connected crossover issues. So next up is Bounty Hunters number 21. The writer is Ethan Sachs. The artist is Paolo Villanelli. The colour artist is Brian Valenza. It was released March 30th, 2022. And the trade paperback collection of Bounty Hunters in the Crimson Reign crossover is due to be released October 25th, 2022. I would also like to add here that I had the pleasure of interviewing Paolo Villanelli. It was, I think, either earlier this year or late last year. So if you want to check out my conversation with the iconic comic book artist, then you can either type in Paolo Villanelli and Comics in Motion onto wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you're on the YouTube channel, you could just go on the playlist for Star Wars Conversations and find it. Or just type in Genuine Chit Chat and Paolo Villanelli and it will come up. But with that in mind, let's get into the comic. So let's start off with The Crawl. Tonga and her crew of bounty hunters continue their search for Cadalia, the heir of the war and crime syndicates, the Unbroken Clan, and Mourner's Whale. Scanning countless intergalactic transmissions, 4LOM discovers that Crimson Dawn has sent someone to capture the young girl. Meanwhile, General Vakura of the Unbroken Clan has entered a secret alliance with Crimson Dawn. Emboldened by Kira to take over the clan, she has assassinated the Grand Leader and assumed control. And Dengar has been contacted by Deathstick to kill someone. But who? So the comic starts with Toonga dreaming of her dead twin brother called Toongo. He was mentioned and seen in the first volume of the Bounty Hunters comics I tackled many episodes ago, so check that out in the Bounty Hunters playlist if you haven't already. But it shows that in those early comics, there's a point where Toonga is in amidst a battle between Baylot, Valance and Boba Fett, and she somehow escapes, and it just shows that a dying Nakano Lash helped her escape while that was happening. And then she wakes up from this dream and is, you know, sweating and things, seemingly like a nightmare, but it is seemingly what did actually occur. And everyone aboard her ship is sleeping. All of the Bounty Hunter's crew, you know, Bosk, Zuckers, her partner, Losha, Fort LOM, etc. So she wanders through the ship past everyone sleeping, but she hears a noise. She goes and checks it out, and it turns out that she's received a message from someone called Syfak. Now, Syfak supplies bounties to a variety of Bounty Hunters, and he has an implant that's fairly similar to what Lobot has. Syfak does appear in many issues of the Bounty Hunters comics, but also does appear in Doctor Afro number 6 in the 2020 run. So if you've been reading the Bounty Hunters comics, or if you've been listening along, you'll know who Syfak is. Syfak seems to want something from Tonga, but is being a little bit cagey about it. She eventually just hangs up on them, and this person, Syfak, then shows Dengar that, look, I tried my best, but I couldn't get through to her, I couldn't stop her doing what you want her to do. Dengar's a little bit annoyed about that, but he decides he's going to go after them himself. It shows that Dengar was hired by Crimson Dawn because they have plans to do with Cadalia, and this crew of bounty hunters might mess those up, so that's why he's getting involved. There's a little bit of a time jump, and then it shows the bounty hunters crew then meet up with Lady Proxima. So Lady Proxima is a Grindelid, which is like a worm creature thing. You actually met Lady Proxima in Solo, A Star Wars Story. It's right near the start. She's the leader of the White Worms. She's living in the sewers and things. And then Han throws like a rock at like a window nearby. It makes light go through it and burns her skin because Grindelids are incredibly susceptible to sunlight. 
But Lady Proxima has been having issues with the Unbroken Clan Syndicate, specifically with Vakora. She's very hard to kill and is ruining business for the White Worms. So Proxima agrees with Toonga and crew to assist them somewhat in trying to take out Vakora by giving them information, mainly intel, confirming that Vakora has bodyguards, thugs, probe droids, snipers, and also ships, as in fighters as well. So very well guarded with a lot of resources. So they tried to start this plan into action. So 4LOM slices the Unbroken Clan's system and says they have about six minutes before alarm sound and those sort of things. So Losha takes out a sniper, Zuckus gets into a vehicle, Bosk and Hasu Leash take Toonga as prisoner and go up to Vakora. Toosha then gives the signal and then Losha fires on some nearby thugs. Vakora takes cover and there's a bit of a shootout that occurs, but Vakora spots a transport coming nearby, but she notes that the driver is Zuckus, and she says it's got to be a trap because Zuckus was involved in a prior stint with the rest of these people. So she then dives into Tonga, saying get close to those people because whoever's shooting with a sniper probably doesn't want these people to get hurt. Shows that Bosk kills a couple of guards, but Vakora manages to get him stuck under a fallen object. She basically just shoots up this market stall thing above him and it crushes him. He shows that Tasu Leech is fighting a guard, and he's fought the guard before in the fighting pits, so he's quite confident of how he's going to beat him, and he does. Vakura then corners Toonga. Toonga then injects her with Sarlacc venom, and Vakura then passes out. So the crew all kind of get back together and are reunited, and they think, cool, we've done it, we can leave. And 4LOM says that extraction isn't going to be for a few minutes, but there's a bit of a problem. And then the final panel of this comic shows that there is a massive, massive crowd of unbroken clan, either sympathizers or people actually involved with the clan itself, all approaching this Bounty Hunter crew to attack them. So the Bounty Hunter crew are in trouble. So that ends Bounty Hunters number 21. So we move on to Dr. Afra number 19. Afro 19 was written by Alyssa Wong, the artist is Minkyu Jung, the colour artist is Rachel Rosenberg, and the issue was released March 23rd, 2022. The trade paperback collection is due to be released October 25th, 2022, and the hardcover Omnibus Volume 2 of Dr. Afra is due to be released May 2023. That should have the first 25 issues of this 2020 run of Dr. Afra comics. I know that the hardcover Omnibus Volume 1 has all of the Afra comics from her first 2016 run, and if people haven't picked that up, I really recommend either checking it out or listening to my episodes on it, because all the Dr. Afra comics are really, really interesting. So let's start with the crawl of Dr. Afra 19. The race is on for Ascendant Tech. Rogue archaeologist Dr. Afra and smuggler Sana Staros have been tasked with collecting ancient Ascendant Tech by Domina Taig. Meanwhile, unknown to Afra, Domina has revived her nephew, Ronan Taig, who Afra almost killed. Afra and Staros are on a collision course with their old frenemy, Kofon Faris, as they attempt to collect the Ascendant Tech as well, including the fabled Spark Eternal. The past always seems to catch up to Afra. How long can she keep running from it before the chase turns fatal? So Afra 19 starts off with a flashback. It shows the University of Barleth and Ko von Faris is a new student. They are trying to get in, but there's an issue with their identification because they recently changed their name. So while this admin person is making their life a little bit difficult, Afra then comes over and helps Ko get in by saying they knew Ko and Ko's been trying to get their name changed for a very long time, that sort of thing, and eventually gets them let in. Then Afra introduces Ko to Sarnastaros and Eustacia Ocker 
Now, Eustacia was a Miriellen from Volume 1 of the Afrocomics, so the whole Rings of Fortune temple raiding arc of Dr. Afra, that's where Eustacia was first seen. And Afra asks Ko to help them all break into the Sava's office. And then it cuts to now, and it kind of flits between now and flashbacks as Ko heads into the Sava's office now, and it shows Ko when they were younger, and then how Ko does it now. Ko keeps thinking about Afra, convincing them to break in years ago, and was obviously quite agitated by the memory. Ko then uses Ascendant Tech to jump up this massive flight of stairs rather than walking it up like a chump, and is met by the head of Occult Studies, a female Twi'lek named Iglantine Noz. Iglantine asks if Ko is there to kill her, and Ko says that they are there for the heart. Meanwhile, Afra and Sana are in Sana's ship, the Vault Cobra. Afra explains the Ascendant's final masterpiece was tech that basically turns someone into a Sith. It merges flesh and machine, grants you powers beyond your wildest dreams, that sort of thing. And while they're discussing that, they then receive a transmission from Domina Tague. Afra doesn't want to answer it, but in Sana's ship, and Sana just answers it anyway. Domina wants Afra and Sana to go back to where Domina is and abandon their hunt for this Ascendant technology. But Afra then hangs up on them, because she doesn't want Domina Take to know specifically about the Spark Eternal. She mentioned they're pursuing another Thought Dowser, which would be an interesting piece of tech for Domina to have, but if the Spark Eternal is real and does what it says it does, one of the galaxy's most powerful women having all of those things before the Spark Eternal, getting their hands on the Spark Eternal, would be catastrophic. So Afra doesn't want that to know. It shows Domina Tague after Afra hung up on her, and she isn't that fussed by it, it's the kind of thing she expects, but she notes that either Afra has been bought by someone else, or she's found something very, very valuable. So she asks Boosh and their crew to investigate and bring Afra and Sana back. Now, Boosh is someone who you'd recognise, but you may not know their name. So, in Return of the Jedi, when Leia breaks into Jabba's palace, she is wearing a disguise of a bounty hunter. Boosh. They are a UB's male. Now, if you want to find out a bit more information about Boosh and more information about how Leia got Boosh's armor, check out episode 77 of Star Wars Comics in Canon, which is the War of the Bounty Hunters number four episode that I did, because the specific Boosh issue is a War of the Bounty Hunters companion comic that fits in with the fourth volume of War of the Bounty Hunters. So make sure you check that out. So back to the University of Barleth, you've got Iglantine taking Ko down some caves that are below the university itself, and she recalls Ko's near expulsion after she tried breaking into her office, and how Afra's treachery and betrayal basically meant that she got what she wanted, because while Ko was being punished, that's when Afra, Asana, and Eustacia then broke into the Sava's office and stole like half of her artifacts. They continue to go deeper and deeper into the caves until they come to a sealed door. I say it's a door, it's kind of like a few stones put together and they've got some degree of red markings on them. Iglantine then uses a key and things start to shift. Back to Afra and Sana. So they are breaking in in present day to Sava's office once again and they spring a trap that's been laid there. Some droids then attack and they do manage to escape out of the office and Sana uses a grapple hook to jump down the staircase which Ko used the Ascendant Tech to jump up and that is the staircase that Iglantine and Ko have since gone down because that's where the caves kind of go. So Sana uses a grappling hook to evade the droids that are attacking them, grab Afra, and then go down those stairs without those droids killing them. Ko and Iglantine then reach an altar, and Iglantine confirms that the university was actually built on the ruins of an ascendant temple, hence why all these things are here. 
Ko then recites their translation of the Ascendant Ritual and asks Eglantine for the heart. And Eglantine laughs and confirms that the sanctum that they're standing in is the heart in which the translation refers to. And as she says that to Ko, Afra and Sana enter the room and it's quite a big hall sort of thing. And the final line of dialogue is Eglantine saying that the Spark Eternal is already here. So that is issue 19 of Dr. Aphra Dunn. So we move on to the penultimate issue of Crimson Rain number 3, and that is Darth Vader number 21. So Darth Vader 21 is written by Greg Pak. The artist is Raphael Ienko, and the colour artist is Alex Sinclair. It was released March 23rd, 2022, and the trade paperback collection of Darth Vader Crimson Rain is due to be released October 18th, 2022. So here is the crawl. Darth Vader has uncovered that Crimson Dawn has infiltrated all areas of the galaxy, including members of the Empire. But chaos is afoot, as Ochi of Bastoon seems to be loyal to Crimson Dawn and is leading Vader astray. Meanwhile, Sabe is inching closer to Darth Vader. So the issue starts with the droid Zed telling Sabe who Ochi of Bastoon and Slymore are. Then Ochi starts to shoot at Sabe, who misses, and so Sabe kicks him in the face, and then Zed shocks both Sly and Ochi once again, so they're then on the floor. Sabe confirms that she is in charge, and she's the one who planted the list, and if they don't listen, their names will be added to the list of Crimson Dawn collaborators. Ochi somewhat questions what she's doing, and she just makes the comment that Crimson Dawn needed some cleansing. Sabe then asks Ochi and Sly what Vader wants. Ochi says he wants Crimson Dawn, and Sly says that Sabe won't be able to kill him. And Sabe says, I don't want to kill Vader, I want to know what drives Darth Vader. Ochi mentions that it's order and reigning the galaxy with the Emperor in the Empire, and so Sabe says that they're going to use Darth Vader to create chaos, the opposite of order, and they will turn thousands against themselves. So Ochi then goes to speak with General Ramodi, who has been appearing in prior Vader comics. Ramodi's men were killed, and he mentions that they were not Crimson Dawn. They were claimed to be, but there's no evidence to show they were actually part of Crimson Dawn. Ochi disagrees, and then he leaves the ship and goes to find Vader. So Ochi finds Vader and then starts speaking to him, and he does confirm to Vader that the soldiers in question don't seem to be Crimson Dawn. But he does note that some of them were on this mission against some rebel sympathisers involving the Amidalans, which was, I believe, in volume either two or three of the Darth Vader comics. And then it cuts to the group of people hired by Vader to kill people in Crimson Dawn. So it shows that the big orb assassin droid called G90 starts to become more and more friendly with the heroes, the Revengers, which is the human woman, the Weequay, and also the Trandoshan. Ochi confirms to them that they've got new targets, but they want them kept alive. Valance is there and he warns these heroes of Darth Vader, but they say that his actions speak far louder than anything Valance can say, especially because they don't really know Valance anyway. So the group of them, the assassins, Valance, Ochi and the heroes slash revengers all head to this site and they go into a cave to try and find some Crimson Dawn collaborators and they go into a room which is filled with death troopers. So Death Troopers are in Season 2 of The Mandalorian. They're in that big finale, so you should know what they are if you've seen that. But in case you haven't seen The Mandalorian but you are a massive fan of Legends, then they are in the Legends games, the Dark Forces. They're the ones that then become Jedi outcasts and things that centre around Kyle Katurn, and I really appreciate those. 
So after they open this door and find all these death troopers, they are understandably very shocked to just find a whole room full of armoured droids just firing on them immediately. The Tradotion gets shot and falls to the ground, and then G-90 offloads loads of thermal detonators into the room and seemingly wipes out all of these death troopers. They then go into the next room and find some prisoners who have been tortured. The assassins don't care about the prisoners, they're following exactly what the mission statement was. However, the heroes can't ignore the prisoners. G-90 agrees with the heroes and then G-90 shoots the Imperials who've been keeping these prisoners and torturing them. And before anything else can be said or even thought of, G-90 is then sliced in half and in the wreckage of this droid is Darth Vader. Vader then asks what's going on with these droids, as in the death troopers that are all dead in that room, and Valance says that they seem to have been General Ramodis. Vader is then suspicious of Ochi and starts to confront him and Ochi just runs away. You then see that Ochi manages to get to Naboo and then meets with Sabe. And before they can have any real conversation, Darth Vader appears in his ship, destroying Ochi's ship, and lands and then tells both Ochi and Sabe that he knew what they were doing this entire time. He knew that Ochi was part of Crimson Dawn and he is going to use them now because, to quote him, I am the Dawn. And that is where Darth Vader 21 ends. Yeah, Darth Vader, the comic series have become very conspiratorial. I'm really, really liking it. It's, it's very cool and interesting. And uh, there's more to come because I've obviously read uh, further issues on from that. But not getting ahead of myself, let's move on to the final comic of Crimson Reign number three, and that is Star Wars 22. So Star Wars 22 was written by Charles Saul. The artist is Ramon Rosanas and the colour artist is Rachel Rosenberg. The issue was released April 13th, 2022 and the trade paperback collection is being released September 13th, 2022. So let's get into the final crawl of this episode. Crimson Dawn is everywhere. Shara Bay, after infiltrating the Tarkin's will, has been captured by the Empire's Commander Zara. The Rebel Alliance's Sergeant, Kez Dameron, plans a rescue mission to save Shara from the Empire's clutches. Meanwhile, Leia Organa and the Rebels are welcoming a surprise guest on the Home One. So on the Rebel ship, Home One, which is a Mon Calamari cruiser, a ship lands, and the ship has got on it, Kira. Kira meets with Leia and says that she comes bearing gifts, and she says she can actually tell Leia where the one remaining Rebel division actually is. Leia questions it and thought that there were several rebel divisions and Kira confirms that unfortunately Commander Zara has destroyed all other divisions of the rebel fleet aside from obviously all the ones where Leia is at the moment and the last one in which Kira was referring to. Leia does remain somewhat suspicious of Kira's intentions but does agree to take that information and Kira says that she has friends in the rebellion and then asks about Chewie. So we then get to see what Chewie is up to, and he's in a simulation for storming Jabba's palace. He's going in there, shooting Boba Fett and Bosk and anyone else who may or may not be at Jabba's palace to get to Han's corpse in Carbonite and save him. Leia and Kira then approach, and Leia notes that he is still annoyed at Kira. Kira does retort slightly and say, well, he can be annoyed at me, but it's also Han, Boba Fett, Darth Vader, Jabba the Hutt, like all of those people involved with why Han is in the situation he's in. I don't think that I'm quite to blame as they are. And Leia doesn't necessarily disagree, but she does note that Wookiees do hold grudges for their entire lives, but also you are there in front of him right now. Kira just says that he needs distraction and then tells Leia that she can also give the location of Commander Zara as well as the Rebel Division. Then it cuts and shows what Zara is up to. So Zara is torturing Shara Bay and finds out all of the information that had been supplied to the Rebellion from Shara's time on the Star Destroyer. But she wants more. She wants to know 
who the future rebel targets are, anyone who survived the Battle of Hoth, any known rebel collaborators, and any other information that might be useful to the Empire. Sharabay continues to refuse, but then Zara says she knows about Poe. She brings up a hologram of a baby Poe Dameron and also says that they know exactly where he is and who's looking after him while Shara and Kez are both fighting this war. And this makes Shara crack and she says that she'll tell Zara anything she needs to know. Then back on the home one, Kira also offers a new supply chain through Crimson Dawn. She notes that Holdo was having issues because when there's the big syndicate war, people don't necessarily have time to supply things to the Rebel Alliance, and Crimson Dawn does have an opening. Leia agrees, and Kira then wanders off and leaves the ship, and Leia then speaks to Amelyn Holdo. So Amelyn Holdo, she is in the Leia Princess of Order on book by Claudia Gray. You get to see a young version of her that's quite cool. But you will all know her from The Last Jedi. She's played by Laura Dern. She has purple hair. And she's the one who takes over when Leia is incapacitated after all of the other senior rebel commanders get killed. Leia asks Holdo to keep an eye on Kira because Holdo is going to be the person speaking with Kira regarding all these supplies that the Rebel Alliance needs. Holdo and Leia then walk, they have a bit of chit-chat and things, and then Leia mentions Kez and says it's probably about time to let him go on that rescue mission he's been harping on about. And Holdo says, but he's already gone. He said that you authorised it. And Leia's like, oh no, no, I didn't. So then it shows Kez. So it's got Kez and his crew of Pathfinders, and they're also joined by certain members of Starlight Squadron. So you've got Lulo Lampart, who is in the Podamron comics quite a lot. He's a Duros. You've got Ivan Verlaine, who appeared in the Princess Leia miniseries, and I tackled that way back, I think around episode like 15 or so. Then there's also Freighter Smith. There's Wedge Antilles, who everyone should know. And there's also a character called Mart Matin, who is a character who was a young boy in Star Wars Rebels, Series 3 and Series 4, and he joined the Rebel Alliance. He was part of Iron Squadron, which is also the name of the episode he first appears in in Star Wars Rebels. I believe it's Series 3, Episode 8. So lots of familiar faces from comics and from elsewhere, all helping the fight. There's also a gentleman on the ship as well, and it looks a lot like Rex from obviously Clone Wars and Rebels. And Rex has been retconned into the Battle of Endor. So in Return of the Jedi, there was a character, I think it's called like Nick Santos. It was meant to be a joke on Santa Claus. And they retconned it to say that that was actually Rex there. But certain authors say that it is, and other people say it's not been fully confirmed. So I think at the moment, people are just putting someone who looks a lot like Rex in a lot of places that this Nick Santos was until there is a pure confirmation from Disney in some sort of big thing. I imagine it'll be an animation or maybe it'll be in the Ahsoka series or something. You'll have the character say he fought the Battle of Endor and it will kind of fully confirm that it was him with Han Solo and stuff, even though it kind of has been, but still, there's a guy that looks a lot like Rex here and I think it is meant to be Rex, but he's never spoken to or mentioned or anything so i think they are still trying to be a little bit cautious just in case someone higher up at disney then decides that rex in fact is not meant to be there but starlight squadron and the pathfinders then engage the star destroyer the tarkins will and starlight squadron themselves cause a distraction so that ken and co can use the broken parts of the star destroyer to sneak on board Shara notices that the rebels in this battle they're having seem to be extending it. They don't seem to be doing as many kill shots as they could and seem to be maneuvering and moving around a lot more. So she notices this must be a distraction. So she says to triple the security who's guarding Shara Bay and then she goes and gets her armor just in case someone comes aboard. Before she leaves the bridge, she's then told where the last rebel division is on a place called Panicia. 
Sara says that it's her lucky day, so she decides to get the Star Destroyer to use hyperspace to go to Panissia and just leave all of the TIE Fighters that are there. TIE Fighters there can help fend off the Rebel Alliance and things, and she notes that if none of them survive, then it is cleanse the Empire because they outnumber the Rebels 3 to 1, so why would they want them anyway? So the Star Destroyer then shoots off into hyperspace, but Kez and the Pathfinders are aboard and they seem to be okay, but the rest of the Rebels in the firefight are just a little bit confused as to this Star Destroyer suddenly disappearing. And then the final panels of this comic show that the Tarkins will heads to Panissia and then starts firing on a rebel base. Now, a couple of people look up from the surface of this planet and one of them is Eura. Now, you would have seen Eura in Crimson Reign number two. I tackled that in episode 102 of Styles Comics and Canon. She's the love interest of Baylor Valance. He put her there along with Cadalia to try and keep them safe from the Empire and other crime syndicates. But Obviously, the Empire is now aware of that, probably due to Crimson Dawn, and so they are now firing on this base. If you want a little bit more of information on that, go check out either the prior episode of the Crimson Rain comics or pick up the comic for itself. And then the final panel shows that the Rebel ships have actually started appearing around Zara's Star Destroyer. And you'd think that Zara would actually be worried about this, but in fact, she is happy because she wants to destroy the entire Rebel fleet in one fell swoop. And that, my friends, is where Star Wars number 22 ends. So that was Crimson Rain number three and all of the associated comics. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. So let's get into what have we got coming up. Next week, I believe I'm going to be tackling the first volume of the Han Solo and Chewbacca series. I believe there are going to be 10 issues of that in total, split into two arcs, and issue six, I think, was released very recently. So I'm going to delve into the first five issues of that for that first arc. So that's what you can expect next week. The Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries, which is going to be five issues, has not yet released its fifth issue, so I will not be tackling that quite yet. I still haven't finished reading Midnight Horizon, so I will not be releasing the book review for that as of yet. But I may end up doing the IDW publishing Clone Wars Battle Tales comics in a couple weeks' time, potentially. I haven't fully figured that out. But I'm kind of thinking I may end up doing Crimson Rain number four the week after I've done Han Solo and Chewbacca, just because by the time we then get to October time, when Hidden Empire starts to come out, I think it's sort of late October, early November, it means that I'll be ready to go and yourselves will all also be ready to go as well. So it's probably going to be Han Solo and Chewbacca next week, then probably Crimson Rain for the following week. And then after that, probably Clone Wars Battle Tales, if I still haven't finished Midnight Horizon by then. Then we'll do the finale of Crimson Rain. Then we should be able to do the Obi-Wan Kenobi mini-series of comics, and then we'll kind of go from there. There's been quite a few comics released or announced rather. Plus we've got obviously The High Republic is coming back in sort of October time. So it's very exciting to deal with phase two of that, which obviously is going to be 150 years before phase one. So lots of exciting Star Wars content to come. Plus, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, there is going to be a Yoda mini series that's coming out. And there's also a couple of other things that I very recently pre-ordered, but they are escaping my mind at the moment. Oh yeah, there's Star Wars Revelations. That's like a one shot. And there's a couple of other things as well, including including High Republic series like the Blade and also there's a Quest for the Jedi which I think is a one-shot by Claudia Gray plus the two ongoing High Republic series which would be High Republic Adventures and also Marvel's High Republic so lots and lots of High Republic content coming your way very soon but I'm trying to get as much done as possible before we get there because uh, then I can kind of keep up to date with the comics as they come out to a degree. But in addition to that, what have I been up to? Well, I was recently on Spider-Man and the Secret Boars talking about the Maximum and Absolute Carnage comic runs and how they compare to Venom Let There Be Carnage. I was also on Femme on Film with Megan to talk about Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. 
Megan and I were also on Back to the Filmography, where we spoke about the Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx movie Collateral, because Jack, the host, is going through Jason Statham's full discography, and this is Jason Statham's smallest role while still being credited in the movie. So links to all three of those conversations are in the description. Make sure you check those out. Also, by the time this has been released, I will have appeared on Marvel Plus's show, She-Hulk Episode 3. I've been meaning to do a conversation with Brett Scott for a very long time. We keep trying to, but we've just had different scheduling and things. But I'm finally recording an episode on Marvel Plus with him. So a link to that will be in the description, either when this episode drops or be next week's episode. I will try my best to make sure it is in the show notes of this episode, as long as it comes out in the right time. And in addition to that, I will be appearing on the Comics in Motion She-Hulk discussion show, but I believe I'm doing that on week seven. So I think it's towards the end of September that I'll be appearing on that. There's also one or two other podcasts that are in the pipeline of me appearing on too, which is going to be very exciting to go on those, but I won't speak about those until the episode has been recorded. In addition to that, please make sure you check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash genuinechitchat. For as little as £1 a month, you get access to hours and hours of exclusive audio content, including reviews of Star Wars Legends books, including Shatterpoint, the Darth Bane trilogy, and... Darth Plagueis. I've also done some canon books that I haven't released elsewhere, including A New Dawn, which is the prequel to Star Wars Rebels, where Hera Syndulla and Kanan Jarrus meet, as well as the Clone Wars era novel about Quinlan Voss and Asajj Ventress called Dark Disciple. But in addition to that, I've done loads of non-Star Wars related content, including myself and Megan talking about a wide variety of things. We went to the Isle of Wight, we went to Malta, we've seen live performances of Book of Mormon, the Great British Bake Off musical, and other things like that, as well as TV series and movies. Loads of additional content, hours and hours of it, plus early access to Genuine Church episodes and other Star Wars related content too. Plus you get to support the show, which means the absolute world to me. If you don't want to support the show in that regard, there's many other ways you can do it. You can follow me on social media at Genuine Church Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. You can share any of my posts either on social media or just with your friends in general you can talk to people about this you can rate and review you can subscribe on youtube you can like the video if you're listening on youtube you can really do anything that involves telling someone else or shouting into a room with other people in it about this show it means the absolute world to me that so many of you listen especially all the way up to the very end where i just ramble on but this is going to be where i end things so thank you so much for listening as always i'll talk to yourselves next week with the first volume of han solo and chewbacca comics and then the following week should be crimson rain number four but i'll speak to you next saturday and as always may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.